book of Hebrews, we're going to be Lord willing, time willing, finishing up the uh, book of Hebrews. Now, most of the time when I say Lord willing, time willing, it's because we hope we can fit everything in. And this is one of those lessons where we really hope we can fit everything in. I tell you, Hebrews 11, there's so much in here. There's a pastor I've been listening to. I thoroughly enjoy his lessons, and he just got done going through Hebrews 11. I mentioned this to you when we first started Hebrews 11 a few weeks ago. Uh, there's over 40 different Bible characters here mentioned. He was spending 16 weeks on this chapter because he was going to talk about each one because all these people, it's an amazing story. Now, if you remember the verses that we've been going through in Hebrews about the just shall live by faith. To live it, guys. Not just to talk about it, not just to show up at church, but to really live it where you stop and you say, I want my life to really be a reflection of Jesus Christ and going out there and representing Christ to a lost world that's lost in sin that needs to know its Savior in Christ. To really live it. And then we talked about 2 Corinthians 5, that we walk by faith, not by sight. That we have to truly go out now and walk it and how difficult that can be. But we have all these examples here in Hebrews 11 of all these amazing guys from the Old Testament. And just to really stop and say they did it. They lived it. And how can we learn from them? Now, we have a tendency when we get into some of these names to elevate them to the super saint status. Please remember what the New Testament says, especially like Elijah. They said that he was a man with a nature like ours. These guys and gals were people that had ups and downs and struggles, etc. But yet there were men and women that allowed the Lord to leave their lives and to truly walk in faith. There are some surprises in here. Especially when we get into the group of people mentioned today, you would say they made it. Yeah, they made it because they walked in faith. Remember, in Hebrews 11, it's a fascinating chapter. It doesn't mention what they did wrong. Like when we mentioned David, he did, they don't mention Bathsheba. They don't mention killing Uriah. They don't. This chapter is just focusing them walking on faith. And we got a few guys that we're going to talk about here this evening. If you read their full, their full biography... There's a lot of stuff going on in their lives that was not God-glorifying, but yet they had moments of where they walked in faith and they truly ended the race, hopefully, serving the Lord with everything they have. And they here they are, here in Hebrews chapter 11. So with that being said, last week we did Jericho, verse 30. We did Rahab, verse 31. Look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jabath and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. See, the writer of Hebrews to the Spirit is even saying in verse 32, time is running out. We don't have enough time to get into all these people. So he just starts mentioning them by names. And a lot of them you probably know. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jabath and of David and Samuel and the prophets. Some of those are what I call Sunday school stories. You've heard about those guys. Some of them maybe not. Gideon, probably a lot of us have heard about Gideon. Gideon is this mighty man of valor. Gideon is this man that led the armies. And Gideon, through the Lord, had a great victory. But let's talk a little bit more about Gideon. Can you go with me, please? Let's go back to Judges. Judges chapter 6, please. I think the book of Judges is one of the most overlooked books in the entire Bible. What happens here, if you follow the history of the Old Testament, is what happens is this. You have Moses that leads Israel out of Egypt. After Moses dies, then you have Joshua. What happens here from the time of Joshua to the first king, you have this period called the Judges. And that's what the book of Judges is about. God would raise up different men and women at different times to take care of a problem when Israel called out for help. 
And a lot of times we kind of skip over judges. We study the kings of Israel. We study Moses. We study Joshua. If you're looking for a fascinating devotional to do, I encourage you to do the book of Judges. You will run into some stories that you would say, I can't believe that's in the Bible. It's not because it's inappropriate. It's not because it's wrong. But it's just so fascinating what some of these guys went through. And one of the guys we're going to talk about here is Gideon. Gideon, the Midianites were causing a problem. The Midianites were coming in, they were doing these raiding parties into Israel, and they were taking what they wanted, and they were causing a problem. And Israel cries out for help. And who does God raise up? He raises up Gideon. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord had come and sat under the terebinth tree, which is an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, please note as we're first introduced to Gideon. Remember Gideon. Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith. What do we first see Gideon doing in verse 11? Hiding. Hiding. I can already relate. Okay. He's down in this wine press area. Now, when they used to thresh wheat, what they used to do is do it on top of a hill, on top of a cliff, because that way when you throw it up in the air, you know what would happen. All the chaff would blow out, and what would happen is the seed would fall to the ground. You know, growing up on a farm, any time that we did straw or hay, if you're up in the mow, you start realizing where the wind's coming in, and you don't stand downwind. You don't want all that stuff getting in your face. Gideon is so brave, so amazing. He's doing it down in the wine press area. There's no wind down there. You can imagine this guy is completely covered in chaff. You can imagine this guy is here hiding, and the Bible comes right out and says he's hiding. And how does God respond to Gideon, verse 12? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That is not a joke. God does have sarcasm when you read through the Old Testament. But this is not sarcasm. This is a really neat point. God sees what you can be, not exactly what you are. What are we? According to Romans 3, we're a complete utter mess. There's no one who seeks after God. No, not one. There's no one who is righteous. No, not one. Nothing. God sees us for what we can be through the Holy Spirit, through his leading. You may be a Gideon right now. You're quiet. You're shy. You're hiding. God shows up in verse 12 and says, no, you don't get it. You're a mighty man of valor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us from the hands of the Midianites. So if God is so great, why are we suffering? Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. What do we see here with Gideon? Reminds me a little bit of when God called Moses at the burning bush. God calls Moses to save Israel. And what does Moses do? A whole chapter of excuses. A whole chapter of excuses. This is what I have noticed a lot in my years in ministry. God calls a lot of us to go do something, and very few of us really listen. We just make up excuses. And excuses can sound really good. Oh, Lord, right now I'm just so busy. Busy at work, busy with kids, busy with the spouse, busy in ministry. We can have all these great excuses, and some of them sound really holy. Lord, I'll pray about it. I'll seek you. If the Lord has called you, then you need to step out in faith and do it. And what happened here is Gideon's going to make excuses in verse 14. Go, God says. His excuse, verse 15, I'm from the smallest family 
in Manasseh, and I'm the smallest person in the smallest family. So every time I read that verse, I think of those little Russian dolls. You know what I mean? You just keep getting the smaller, smaller ones. Gideon's the last one. He's nothing. You sure? Verse 16, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, this is where faith kicks in. Gideon has to choose whether to believe this or not. Please do realize this is not a story. This is real. This man was real. He was really oppressed by the Midianites. He was really hiding. He really did not think that he was the mighty man of valor. God showed up and says, I want to use you, Gideon. I want to use you. And what does he have? Excuse after excuse after excuse. Now, we can't go through all of it, just like the writer of Hebrews said, time does not permit us. But jump ahead here to the end of Judges 6. Gideon does this great walk of faith. He destroys the altar of Baal in verses 28 through 35. He gets a movement going through the Lord. But then there's this moment of, God, are you sure? But haven't you seen that? You step out in faith. You do something and, and you taste that walk of faith. And you're like, Lord, I can do this. Then as you start to do it, guess what happens? You run into a little bit of opposition. See, the Bible makes it clear. It says in the book of Proverbs, if your faith falters in the day of adversity, oh, how small is your faith. Now, I don't say that to pick on anybody. But what I'm saying is this. Rich and I kind of talk about this out at church, and we don't mean this in a bad way, and I hope no one takes it that way. Rich and I both like baseball a lot. And we talked about how in baseball you have starting pitchers, you have middle relievers, and then you have closers. Okay? They all serve a purpose. And we talk about how sometimes you see people in the body of Christ that want to be the starting pitcher. They want to get out there, start the game, lead the game. And if you know anything about baseball, by the end of the first inning, they're already winded and they quit. And their faith falters in the day of adversity. And what we need in the body of Christ is you do need starters. You do need closers. You need all the above. But what happens a lot of times is you see people passionate about a ministry or an opportunity. They start out, then all of a sudden it's like, what just happened? Gideon starts out. There's this passion. There's this excitement. We're going to make a difference. And then all of a sudden, fear comes. Maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's, ah, boy, life just got really busy. Work is just really picked up. Oh, boy, there's this project we're doing at home. It's taking a lot longer than what I thought, and it's just not going to work out. Oh, you know what? The sports season changed, and the kids got this going on, so we'll just have to catch you another time. And what happens is this. Instead of finishing the race strong, we start just faltering. Gideon has a moment. So what he does in verse 36, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. The fleece is wet, the ground is dry. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test. I pray just once more with the fleece. Now let it be dry only with the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night and was drying the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now, I'm going to probably bother some of you guys, and I sure hope you don't get too offended. And if you're bothered, please talk to me about it afterwards. This is what people call throwing out a fleece. And what happens is they say, well, this is what Gideon did, and the Lord responded. And I agree, the Lord did respond to it. There's a lot of times in the Bible where the Lord responded to stuff. doesn't necessarily make it the great idea. And so what happens is we take this teaching, this concept, and then we apply it to our lives. And I've heard people say things like this. 
you know, I've been really praying about this job. And so I've decided this. I told the Lord. If they call him back and offer me the job, I told the Lord I'll take it. So if he wants me to have the job, they'll call back and they'll offer it to me. And then if they don't call back, obviously it was God's will. Now that sure sounds good. You threw out a fleece. Lord, if you want me to have the job, you will have them call me. If you don't want me to have the job, you will not have them call me. But did you really catch what you just did there? You just told God what to do. God, if you want me to have a job, you'll have them call me. So, Lord, this is the way I want you to answer this prayer. Now, the problem is this works every now and then. And so people come up and say, well, James, this is what I did. We were trying to sell our house. And we told the Lord that if you really want our house to sell, this is the amount we needed. And once you know it, the offer came in is exactly what we told the Lord we needed. And it all worked out perfectly. Amen. God is good and does good in all things. God works for the good. But you've got to be careful with some of these things because you can then start twisting it a little bit. You know, Lord, if you really want me to have that job, you're going to make the sun come up tomorrow morning. Sun comes up, it must be God's will. Lord, if you really want me to date that girl, she's going to be sitting right there. Wait a second, is that the Lord's will or is this just something we preordained and planned? This is where you've got to remember, we live in the New Testament as the New Testament. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Holy Spirit chooses to take up residence in you and I. And so therefore, when we need to seek the Lord, we need to seek Him through prayer and fasting in the Word. And it takes work and effort. In fact, Psalms tells us that wisdom is in a deep well and the wise man pulls it out. It's a lot of effort to seek the Lord. And so what I see happening in my life and other people's lives, we want the quick, easy answer. Well, I could fast about this, I could pray about this, I could be in the scriptures about this, I could get up early and do all that, or I could just say, Lord, could you just do this if you want me to do it, or just do this if you want me to do it? Well, then we don't build that relationship, we don't build that connection with them. And so I see the fleece, God answered this way, but please do also understand the whole counsel of God's word. He wants us to seek him in wisdom and guidance and prayer and fasting, etc., So a little side note there. But now we need to finish up with Gideon here because there's a lot we want to cover. Starts out with an army of 32,000 men. That's not bad. 32,000 men. Going up against an army of 100,000 plus. You're still outnumbered. But 32,000 men isn't bad. Problem is this. Verse 2, chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Isn't that fascinating? Gideon, your army's too big. If you go into battle and win the battle, you guys are going to look at each other and say, Good job, high-five each other, and pat each other on the back. So I need to shrink your army to make sure you guys know it was me. So verse 3, Thou therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Now that's not the best way to uh, make your army a little stronger. Okay, guys, if anybody's scared, one-time offer, time to go. Two-thirds of them leave. Two-thirds of them leave. It's kind of interesting. In the book of Deuteronomy, when they're getting ready, the army's ready to go into the promised land. They kind of go through some of these rules. Hey, if you're recently married, we don't want you to go into battle. Because you don't have time to be with your wife. You're going to be focusing on your wife and your family and not what the Lord wants you to do. Go home. If you're working on a house or if you planted a vineyard and you haven't had time to harvest it yet, go home. Because your mind is not going to be where the Lord wants you to be. And lastly, if you're scared, go home. Because you're not trusting the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? And there's a lot of teaching points with that, isn't it? 
Somebody wants to go into ministry. Hey, listen, is your heart really focused on everything the Lord wants to do in this ministry? Because if your mind is elsewhere, God will just raise up somebody else. Go home. And I don't mean that rude. I don't mean that bad. If your heart's not really in this ministry and you're walking in fear and not faith, hey, just go home. Because what we're looking for is people that say, you know what, I may not have it all figured out, but I just really want to focus on Christ. So they get it down here. And now they're down to 10,000. Verse 4, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall I go with you. And of whoever I say, This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to, to drink. Okay, so you're, you're making two different things here. Guys, everybody go get a drink. Now you watch them. Some of them are going to go down on one knee and kind of bring the water up to them. The other ones are going to go down on all fours and kind of just stick their head right in the water. Verse 6, And the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So now the rest of you go home. Why? Well, you drank water wrong. What's the right answer? Now, there's so many different ways to look at it, and it really doesn't matter. It was the right answer, whoever is the least amount, so God gets the glory. I've heard two teachings on this. They're both good. One teaching is this. The people that got down on all fours and stuck their hand in the water, they were not looking around. They were only focused on themselves, and they just wanted water. Where the people got down on one knee, they're still attentive. They're still looking around, maybe. They're not sticking their head right in the water. Maybe these are better soldiers. That's one idea. Best idea I ever heard actually came from a guy by the name of Gail Orwin. He says, very simple. Look at the people who get down on one knee. They're usually bigger, slower, because they can't get down on all fours, because they know they can't get back up. So the 300 men that were left were probably the least out of shape. I should say the most out of shape. And God said, yeah, those are the people I want to send into battle, the guys that can't even get down on all fours. I don't know. But the Lord took those 300, and you know what happens at the, here, at the end of Judges chapter 7. They get into the camp of the Midianites, they all have their lights, they break their lights, and they say, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, and what happens here? Verse 21, every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew their trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. So basically, the Midianites are so scared, so worked up, they attack each other. And God saves Israel with 300 out-of-shape men. That's faith. That's the mighty man of valor. And God says, this is what I want you to learn. I want you to learn this. You may be hiding. You're scared of what the Lord has called you to do. I still want to use you. You may have every excuse and why you can't. I'm from the least of the tribe and the least of the family in the tribe. God says, yeah, but I'm the one that's going to empower you. And God says right from the beginning, he goes, I don't work with numbers. Please remember that. We live in a society today where everything is focused on numbers. If you're successful, then obviously you have a big church, and that's a bunch of baloney. You have the people that God has called you to minister to. That's what it comes down to. And so what happens here, the Lord said, I want to use 300. Just like in the New Testament, I want to use 12. That's what the Lord wants to do. He's never been focused on numbers. 300 men takes out the camp of the Midianites. Who gets the glory God gets the glory. Gideon was willing to walk in faith. And that's the example we're supposed to learn from Gideon. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about Gideon here before we move on? Okay, so that's Gideon. Who do we got after Gideon? 
We got Barak. Now, he's kind of an interesting one. He's in Judges chapter 4. We're not going to spend as much time on him. You wouldn't think that this guy would make the hall of faith. This is the one that the Lord raised up. God asked him to go into battle. And you know what he says? Well, verse 6, Deborah calls for him and says, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men and the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulon. And against you, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And look at his great man of faith, verse 8. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. (laughs) There's your hero of faith, Deborah. I'm not going to go into battle unless you go. Now, is that faith or is that fear? See, I look at that and I think it would be pretty easy to pick on him. Here, the Lord has called you. And you said, listen, I'm not going into battle, Deborah, unless you go with me. Now, you've got to think back here thousands of years ago. In that type of society, there's the man saying, I'm not going to go unless the woman goes with me. And actually, he kind of gets rebuked for this. So she says, verse 9, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking for the Lord. will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Deborah says, fine, I'll go with you. But listen, you're not going to get the glory. This guy is still in the hall of faith. Why is he in there? I think there's a couple reasons why he's in there. Number one, he still went. He was willing. Obviously, he was afraid. He was scared. He was still willing. Maybe there's an honesty and an openness of saying, I can't do this. We like to tease Judah, our second born, just because he's so much fun just to joke with and laugh with. The worst thing you could do to Judah, the worst thing you could do to him, he's going to turn 11 this year, is to put him in charge. He hates it. He hates being in charge. If we would say, Judah, I need you to watch the kids for a second. I'm going to run outside and burn trash or do something like that. First thing we will say is, well, where's Elias? And if you ever want to scare Judah, you just say, Judah, listen, i got to take Elias and go somewhere. So mommy and I and Elias are going to leave for a little bit, but I'm leaving you at home. That would just completely, utterly destroy him. Just completely destroy him. I was in Walmart the other day, and I had to get a couple things in this one section, and I had to do this return thing. So I just said, you know what, Elias and Judah, you're with me. Can you guys just real quick go over to the food section? Mom wants us to grab a you know, thing of this and a thing of that. Elias said, sure. Judah goes, where are you going to be? I'm, I'm going to be right here, buddy, but I can't see you. I know, but you're with Elias. It's going to be okay. You're just going right over there. He wouldn't go. He wouldn't go. Now, it's easy to pick on that. But you know what? I also look at him and say, there is a complete, utter honesty of what his capabilities are. He is not trying in any way whatsoever to be prideful or bigger than what he is. Now, God bless my thirdborn, Kenan. I'd say, Kenan, you're in charge. He would say, sure. He doesn't have a clue what to do. <laughs> The house would burn down, fall apart. And Kenan, what happened? I don't know. You know, Kenan, I need you to go pick up pretzels. He'd end up in automotive and get four tires. I mean, that's just Kenan. He is not humble enough to see that he can't do it. So I look at a, a barrack here, and it's easy to pick on him, but I also stop and I think, gosh, I appreciate that honesty. I appreciate that honesty in the body of Christ when someone comes up and I say, hey, could you prayerfully consider doing this? And the prideful answer would be, oh, sure, pastor, whatever you want, whatever I can do to further the kingdom. Then they walk home in fear, worry, and anxiety. But I also appreciate the person that comes up and says, you know what, I thought about what you said, and I'm not capable of doing that. And it's not because I don't trust the Lord, but that's just not my calling. Wow, I appreciate that honesty. I shared with you before, it used to bother me when I'd go up to somebody and say, hey, would you consider doing this? 
And their response would be, let me pray about it. What do you have to pray about? I already told you. Can you please do this? No, they're seeking the Lord. So we can pick on him, but we can also stop and say, you know what? There's an open honesty of what he was capable of, not capable of. And if God wanted to use the tag team of Deborah and Barak, it worked. And amen to that. So sometimes in faith, it's also knowing what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. Now, please understand the word of calling. Calling. I did not say what you want to do and what you don't want to do. So often we base our calling on what we want to do. I love working with little kids. I must be called to the children's ministry. Maybe. That's also maybe where you're called or just maybe what you want. I like teaching, so I must be called to teaching. Maybe. Or maybe that's just what you want. I don't know. Let the Lord lead and guide. Because if you based everything on what you want to do and what you don't want to do, how many of us would go out and share the gospel? There's a whole world there dying and going to hell. Sometimes it's uncomfortable and nervous, whatever, to share the gospel. We have to go where we're called. There may be ministries that you, you know, I just don't really want to do that. That's out of my comfort zone. That may be why the Lord is calling you. Remember, he doesn't call you because you're capable. He doesn't call you because you're qualified. He calls you because that's his perfect plan. And if you're not qualified to do it, guess what? Through the Holy Spirit, he will qualify the unqualified. That's what the Lord does. We saw it with Gideon, and we see it here with Barak. Now, we've got to pick up the pace here a little bit. Samson, we're not going to go into Samson. Samson is Judges 17 through 22. Fascinating study on Samson. It's hard to look at what Samson did right. We have Samson being prideful. We have Samson being lustful. We have Samson walking in the flesh. We have Samson being disobedient. And he's in the hall of faith. Can you not relate to that? Prideful, lustful, fleshful, disobedient. I'm just like Samson. This shows who the Lord chooses to work with. Because Samson ended his life in faith. He ended his life in faith. What a neat example that is. Now, what about the next guy, Jephthah? This one is kind of a difficult one. Because what you have going on here with him is, once again, this is in Judges chapter 11. You can turn there real quick if you'd like. In Judges chapter 11 is God has raised him up. And there's a lot of reasons why he shouldn't be used. Look in Judges chapter 1. Excuse me, Judges chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. Now this guy actually was. This is not Gideon, who God said, You're a mighty man of valor, even though you don't think it. This guy actually was a soldier. But he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Japhath. See, now this is interesting. We had Gideon, who was not anything great. And God said, I can make you great. And now we have this guy who is great, but he can't move past his past. He's the son of a harlot. And not even that. Look at verse 2. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Japhath out. You should have no inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. He got even kicked out of his own house. What does he end up doing? Verse 3. Then Jephthah went fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together, banded together with him, and went out raiding with him. So this guy is the son of a harlot, gets kicked out of his house, and the only group of people he can hang out with, the Bible describes as worthless men. Now, some of your translations word that a little bit differently, poor men, etc. And here's the guy the Lord wants to use. I love this. Because some of you here tonight, you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. 
You come from the most dysfunctional of dysfunctional households. And the Lord says, yeah, I can still use you. Isn't that amazing? So it doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter who's kicked you out. Because what matters is this, is the Lord says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you can walk in faith. Walk in faith of knowing this. And what a beautiful picture this is. And I hope that can bless some of you because some of you right now may be saying, I hear this whole idea of serving, but trust me, if you knew what I have done, said, thought, what have you, you would not ask. Yeah, but the Lord knows that he still wants to use you. Move past the past and move forward in Christ Jesus. Now, if you want a fascinating thing to end here, and I have to give full disclosure on this, we are running out of time. There is this really strange ending to his life. If you've ever studied this out in Judges chapter 11, he makes a vow where he says, if the Lord gives me victory, the first person to come out of my house, I will offer up as a burnt offering to the Lord. First person that walks out of his house, do you remember is who? His daughter. Now, I met one time with an atheist that was a very angry atheist, and this is one of his problem passages. How in the world could God ordain this sacrifice of his daughter? There's a lot of teaching points on this. If you study it out, my personal opinion is it doesn't look like that she was ultimately sacrificed. She was sacrificed in the sense of she went and served at the temple, never married, never had kids, etc. But one of the things you have to remember is just because it's said in the Bible doesn't mean it's of the Lord. This guy spoke rashly, should not have said it. And so therefore, since he said it, there also was a pride now of I can't go back on it. This is something so simple, but for sentency, we have a tendency to forget this, excuse me, is if you have said something you shouldn't have said, and pride is keeping you from going back and saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, man, the Bible calls you a scoffer. You're just walking in this pride and this arrogance of I can't be wrong. This guy could have said, you know what, I made that vow to the Lord that was rash of me, that was dumb of me, I shouldn't have said it, I'm sorry, but he didn't. How often have we gone on for weeks, months, years, maybe decades, walking in this pride of, I can't say that I'm wrong. Now, that's a side teaching, because this man is in faith, the hall of faith. Why? Because he was willing, he was willing, from his bad background, to still move forward in the Lord. Now, we've got to pick up the pace here. We're to David. You know David, David and Goliath. David walking in faith there. David with the lions walking in faith. David is the military walking in faith. Please note Hebrews 11 does not mention Bathsheba, Uriah, any of that. Because God says, I want to walk in faith. Samuel, Samuel, this great prophet, the last of the judges there, walking in faith. Now, we need to pick up the pace here because I want to finish this up because we have to get the full context of this. Here, read through this with me. Uh, Verse 33, what did these guys do? Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, just of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He just kind of like fast forwards here. All these amazing things that these people went through. 
A few years ago, I thought it would be important for my boys to understand what has happened in the history of the church and what it means to really take a stand for the Lord. So we got a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And so what we did is we would do our devotions, and we'd always end with a story from Fox's Book of Martyrs. And if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's pretty straightforward on what happened to some of these believers. The idea completely, utterly backfired. The boys loved the book. I would tell them about a martyr, and like, well, that wasn't really gory. Can you find one more that's gorier than that? Completely backfired. So... I just want to let you know, I tried to say, listen, these are the people in Israel that took a stand for the faith. Look at what the Lord did. And I went, I'm like, that was amazing, Dad. Tell me another one. So when you go through this, please understand the context of what the Lord is trying to say. Is look at what these people went through for the Lord. Look at these faith that they stand. Now what happens is we're going to go through this list. There's usually somebody that comes up to me afterwards and says very sheepishly, James, if my life was put on the line, I don't know if I could take a stand for the Lord like that. If they came and threatened me, I don't know. I think I'd falter. Or if they came and threatened my family, I don't know. I think I would falter. Let's just be honest about that. Until you're in that situation, you don't know what you would do. But let me remind you of this. In the New Testament, there's a gift. and It's called the gift of faith. The gift of faith is a gift that kicks in when you say, I can't. And the Lord says, I know you can't. But that's why the Holy Spirit inside of you can And there's going to be times where you say, oh, James, I can't. I can't get up and share that testimony. I can't get up and witness to that person. I can't offer to lead that Bible study at work. I can't do this. At this moment right here, right now, in your flesh, you're right, you can't. But when the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you and calls you, he will empower you through faith to be able to stand up and take that stand. Looking what these guys went through, I can't imagine what they went through. I think I would falter on some of this. But through faith, we can. Because why? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And what did Paul say in Romans 8? You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Remember that. If you are sitting here tonight being sheepish like Gideon, ah, you are a mighty man or woman of valor that the Lord wants to use. Let him lead you and guide you. Let's go through this real quickly here. If you'd like to take notes, I tell you, this is a great devotional study. And we're going to go through it quickly. Verse 33, who through faith seduced kingdoms? There's lots of them. Joshua did, David did, Samson did, the judges did. Who worked righteousness? Almost all the prophets worked righteousness. Who obtained promises? Well, Gideon did, Barak did, all those guys. The Lord said, I will do this. Abraham did. Okay, who stopped the mouths of lions? I immediately think of Daniel and the lions then. But not only that, so did David. Who quenched the violence of fire? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Took a stand in the fiery furnace there. Escaped the edge of the sword. David escaped the edge of the sword. Saul. Remember, Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. He escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. We just read about Gideon. Became valiant in battle. Boy, Jonathan, David, uh, Samson. Turned to fight the army of the aliens. That's a fun little verse. Um, That's not a sci-fi thing. It means the armies. Of the foreign countries that were coming in. We talked a lot about that. Women had their dead raised. Elijah and Elisha did that. Numerous people were tortured. As we talked about. Mocked. Scourgings. We talked about scourging Sunday. When Jesus. What it meant for him to go through the scourging there. Chains of imprisonment. We could think of New Testament. Old Testament people that were scourged and changed and imprisoned. Think of Joseph that was put into prison there. Um, What else we got here? They were stoned. Verse 37. Zechariah the prophet. Took a stand for truth. 
And the response was, we're going to stone you there. They were sawn in two. Now, that's an interesting one. That one is not in the Bible anywhere. Church tradition tells us, though, Isaiah the prophet was martyred that way, to be sawn in two. Tempted, stained, slain with the sword. And look at this. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. I think one of the problems we do sometimes in the church in America especially is when we present the gospel. We present the gospel like this. You have no joy in your life. You have no peace in your life. Your life is empty. Let me tell you about Jesus who will come in and make your life happy. And sometimes people hear that and say, what do you mean? I have a great life. I got a great wife, I got a great house, I got a great job, I got great money, I got great health. I have no emptiness in my life in any way whatsoever. So the gospel message goes in one ear and out the other. That's not the gospel message. Jesus did not die on the cross for us to be happy. Jesus died on the cross because we are sinners going to hell and sin has to be dealt with. And so therefore what happens is this. When I see the gospel being presented, we have to present the truth of, listen, God is holy, just, and perfect. We are not. He loves you. We are sinful. He isn't. And so therefore Jesus bridged the gap for us. Now the reason I bring this all up is I think sometimes what I see in America is accept Jesus and your life will be perfect. It doesn't work that way sometimes. Accept Jesus and you're saved from hell. And what is the life that God calls you to? Well, verse 37 Wandering about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and tormented. If you'd go over to certain parts of the world and say, Oh, the gospel, you accept Jesus and everything will be great. No, they're still destitute and poor. But the Lord still moves and works in them. I'm going through 2 Corinthians for devotions. And when you read Paul's testimony about what he went through, this guy basically says, Listen, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. But let me tell you what my walk with Christ has been like. Stoned, in prison, scourged, etc., And he says, but I still give all the glory to the Lord. So listen, you may be here tonight and you may have accepted Christ. And you're like, okay, where is the great parade of roses? That's eternity. But for right here, right now on this earth, I don't know what God has called us to. There is times of destitute, afflicted, tormented. And you may say, well, James, that's not the best PR for the gospel. The gospel is the good news that I was going to hell and Christ pulled me out of that. That's the gospel. And whatever he calls me to to live in this world right now, it's still better than going to hell. And so therefore, I give him the glory in whatever I do. Verse 38, the world was not worthy. Isn't that the truth? These people that wandered in deserts, mountains, dens, caves of the earth. If you go read through the Old Testament, my goodness, how many times these great men of God lived in caves. Because that was the only place they had. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I heard this one time. I have read through the Gospels. I believe this statement is true. I can't say it's not, but I also can't say 100% it isn't. I heard a pastor teach one time saying, there's never a recorded time in the Bible where you see Jesus spending the night in someone's house. And you see him visiting houses, but you also see him out in the wilderness. You see him asleep on the boat. But was Jesus being serious saying, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? That when he started his public ministry, did he truly not? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say But so often we look at our own lives, and to be honest, we are so selfish as Christians. Our heart and passion maybe isn't for the gospel and souls lost, but it's, oh, Lord, just give me a good day today. Oh, Lord, give me a good day. Just get me safe on the way to and from work, and a good day, and help me to feel better. And Lord, when I go home, give me a good night's sleep, and tomorrow give me another good day. No, we're here to represent Christ to a fallen world. And we've got to remember that in all we do and all that we say. Now, these guys in verse 39, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, 
did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. We have Jesus. They should not be made perfect apart from us, meaning complete. They are made complete in Christ, just like we're made complete in Christ, which is a beautiful segue to next week of Hebrews 12, of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But as we finish chapter 11 here, what are we talking about? Numerous men and women that walked in faith. Difficult times that we can't imagine. And these are people that did not have the best background, did not have the best start. Some of them didn't have the best middle or finish. But they walked in faith. And it goes back to the two verses we've been saying for the last few weeks. We should live by faith and we should walk by faith. Faith is not knowing what's going to happen, but we still trust the Lord in that. And we're running out of time, so I've got to kind of end here quickly. I want you guys not just to know about faith. I don't want you to mark the verses. I don't want you to circle it. I really want you to go out and say, Lord, what does that mean to live it? To really live it in all I do and say. Keep that in prayer this week. Make that your prayer focus. And as you look back on these men and women, Lord, what can I learn from how they walked to have me walk in that same type of faith today? Have you got any final questions, comments, complaints about anything here? All right. Let's close you out with a word of prayer, and we'll let you guys go then. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to study this. I want to pray for the Gideons here tonight that uh, are hiding. They're scared. Help them to stand in faith in what you've called them to do. Lord, I want to pray for the... Lord, I want to pray for the Jephthahs, those people that just have the background that they think they're not usable. But Lord, you want to use them. You can use them through your Holy Spirit. I want to pray for the Samsons that are maybe walking in pride, lust, flesh, disobedience, but you want them to end finish strong. Lord, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Help us, Lord, to walk in faith like these great men and women of yours did in the past. Help us to learn from that and always say and do in your name. Amen. Hey, if anybody's got anything they want to pray about, I'll be up here. Feel free to pop on up and pray. You guys have a good week, and God bless.